0: Hello and welcome to episode 317 of The Yellow Wallet Pod. I'm your host Stefan Brutzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's magical Champions League night against PSG winning the round of 16 home leg against them 2-1 and we will preview Saturday's Bundesliga away match against Werder Bremen for all that and more. Join me, Lars Paulmann. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I'm fine, how are you? Very fine myself and also here... Konstantin Egnar. Hello, Konstantin. How are you? How is it going? Pretty well, especially because we have another sponsor for this episode. And this episode is sponsored by Thomas Kurzam from Linz, Austria, at Kurzzee17 on Twitter. And if you also want to become a sponsor for an episode like Thomas, go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall for more information and with that, enough housekeeping, and we can dive right in into the magical night that was Borussia Dortmund beating Thomas Tuchel and his Parisian team.
2: Haaland, that's nicely done. Sancho lays it wide. Hakimi plays it back in. Haaland, is he going to finish it? Yes, he has him again. Reina, Haaland, on that left foot, two!
0: Yeah, I think we all had a lot of fun watching this game. Um, Constantine. before we talk about the grand scheme of things and whether Dortmund may move past PSG in the round of 16 or not, um, let's talk a little bit about um, the matchup between Favre and Tuchel. Um, I think you and I were both surprised that uh, the former Dortmund coach opted to sort of mirror the Dortmund formation. We saw a 3-4-3 system on both sides, and I would say both sort of played with a back 5 in defense and thus it was a yeah a pretty conservative game um nevertheless um i thought it was interesting tactically and in the, in the way it it played on in the end dortmund obviously won and were the better team um do you have an overall explanation why dortmund uh, did win the uh, tactical battle if you will? I mean, you can
3: ask if they really wanted a tactical battle because PSG's uh, or Tuchel's approach was to uh, make it conservative, make it slow, make it uh, much more a, a nil-nil game, uh, which they almost were successful with. Um, especially the first half was pretty much what uh, PSG wanted, I guess. Uh, meaning that, I mean, there was one Holland attempt and maybe the one... ...curler from Sancho... ...but that was it in terms of uh, offensive output from Dortmund... ...so there wasn't really much going on... Um, ...sure, then Holland scored the first... ...but uh, PSG scored a very important and still important away goal... Um, ...so if it wasn't for the second Holland goal... ...which was a screamer... ...but it, it was just not something that's, like, that's, that's hit a, a lot... Uh, ...in these kind of matches... Um, then PSG would have won. So, I mean, it's a little bit... I don't know. (laughs) Uh, uh, We we write history in the the aftermath and uh, that comes down to it. So, I was surprised what Tuchel did because uh, Paris played 4-2-2-2. Most of the time in the past couple of weeks or months even, um, with some variations, uh, but almost always with a back four. Um, so yeah, I was somewhat surprised, especially that he left someone like Icardi on the bench. Um, but other than that, I didn't think that like PSG did that bad. Lee, so, so because, like, in the in the French media, they really chest up the match that the basic. That's like the be all end all kind of uh, games where PSG has to perform and they have to win. And they it's it's about you know being a successful season or not. Um, but that also puts pressure on the team and on Tuchel. And why not going for a little bit of a more conservative kind of approach? Um, not. You know being beaten away and then of course winning the the home match and i mean right now it's not perfect for them but we can talk about uh, who's the favorite uh, going to the quarterfinals and i think after that match it's psg actually because uh recent past has shown that dortmund away against top tier teams it's a completely different story than when they play at home um so i mean the one away goal was was probably was maybe enough for PSG just to run through. So it wasn't pretty, but it might be
0: successful in the end. All right, fair enough. Um, I I still think Dortmund in these ninety minutes had the upper upper hand. It was a very nuanced game, and I I think that um, made it very appealing to me that it wasn't uh, a match where uh, you had a shootout, which uh, some. And me amongst them predicted. Lars, was it the kind of game you would have seen coming uh, from from both coaches and and the uh, uh, set update shows? Well,
2: I was certainly a, a little surprised to see PSG going with the conservative approach, even though I kind of understood relatively quickly during the game uh, why Tuchel did it. I I, I will say I uh, haven't really watched them too much recently and. Obviously, watching PSG in league uh, games is basically pointless anyway. If you're trying to predict what's going to happen in the Champions League, because you know opponents like Amiens, where they drew four four with, uh, I think seven different players, uh, compared to the ones playing in Dortmund on Tuesday, I mean you can't really learn too much from that. But um, I, given um, the fact that Dortmund at home is a pretty tough fixture, I would say, for even even for uh, you know one of the jazz up super teams of this era, uh, which PSG at least on paper are. I can kind of understand why he uh, went with it, and certainly understand why Favre didn't change anything about his approach. I mean, I'm pretty sure we are going to see Dortmund as their uh, or at their more conservative defensive apprehensive uh, in Paris so at home they had to at least win the game to give them a chance to advance in Paris because i mean i think we all agree that had they lost at home there was not going to be a chance of advancing to the quarterfinals so uh, given those sets of circumstances i, I kind of saw uh, fewer goals coming than people were predicting. I don't know why exactly people thought Dortmund were suddenly going to you know, be involved in a 4-3 kind of uh, scoreline in the Champions League, which just hasn't happened recently. I mean, they kept Barca at bay, granted, without uh, Leo Messi, if I uh, remember correctly. I think he only came on uh, for the final 15 or 20 minutes or so
0: and was very out of shape then. Yes. Yeah,
2: but I mean still Dortmund at home that's uh I would say with some confidence uh among the five or six best sides in Europe at this po- at this point given uh just their attacking talent that is playing on you know great runs of forms, uh, be that uh, Sancho or Haaland uh Brandt before his injury so there's a lot of quality in Dortmund's team uh, that at home is you know uh, pretty hard to play against. So I, d- I didn't see, uh, you know, PSG making this an open enough game for there to be many goals. So I wasn't really surprised by uh, only three goals in the game, certainly after the first half, which was, as Constantine and to, kind of uh, a bit of a dead rubber almost, even though I think Dortmund were clearly better side then. But uh, as he said, not many real scoring chances. And I think... Uh, On PSG's side, uh, Marquinhos, Thiago Silva and uh, Marco Verratti did so well in the first half to kind of keep Dortmund at bay. So uh, at the latest, after 30 or so minutes, you knew that this wasn't going to completely explode in the second half anyway.
0: Yeah, I felt, especially in the first half, Dortmund had a lot of breakaway chances um, because they sat quite deep uh, situationally and then uh, had counter-attacking chances but just didn't make a lot out of it I mean a lot of people will remember uh, the cleared corner by Haaland and his sprint forward uh, that being said Torgen Hazard was equally fast um, but obviously that yielded in a shot by Jaden Sancho which in the end uh, wasn't on, on target uh, I think Dortmund could have maybe made more out of it and there were a couple more chances where then uh, Paris had to rely on, on their last itch defending, which worked out quite well. Marquinhos, you've already mentioned, Kim Pempe, had a couple of good moments where he stopped Sancho in his tracks before he could have played the killer pass. So there were a couple of moments uh, where Dortmund, I think, in a little bit better shape and with better form, could have probably punished PSG a bit harder than they did. But um, overall, I, I thought it was a, a very, um, yeah. Like a heavyweight boxing fight be- between two sides um, that both brought a- brought a lot of panache. That being said, Constantine, um, there was a lot of um, talk on in the PSG camp. Obviously, after Neymar, he was complaining about uh, you know being protected from a-, a rib injury while he thought he was fine. And I think you, you saw with him and also Mbappe to be honest that uh, these two players in particular didn't uh, really d- do too much off the ball um, do you think this could be also an advantage going into the second game or do you expect Neymar in the return like, to to be in a different shape because maybe his physical shape wasn't up to the, the task of such an intense game
3: not really I, I guess um, especially with four Players up front um, because I, I think it all will go back to the uh, usual system with, with Icardi also in between um, Neymar and and Di Maria uh, and with MAP a bit more on the left side and, and maybe Neymar a bit a little bit behind in the pocket so uh, there's there's much more interaction between these four and also in terms of pressing they can do more uh, with four up front um, but. It's hard to tell, actually, because as as Loss already mentioned, uh, watching the league All matches, they don't th- these four players. are friends, I mean, bar Di Maria, because Di Maria is more of a workhorse. Uh, they don't do much. Uh, in terms of like tracking back and and you know, if 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 they are bypassed uh, if they form a, f- a pressing line if they are bypassed then it's not like they they really uh, move backwards and try to still regain possession um, but that's league on um, so and, and often enough they don't really have to do much of these defensive kind of thing or these defensive tasks um, because still there's Munier and and uh, Bernard or Cousava. Um, and especially Verati and Gray were already a presence uh, in the midfield. So just it's it's different. It's different. What I what I think what they will try to do in the um, home match um, because of how Dortmund played against other top teams uh, array, against Barcelona, for instance, you know, dominate or pretty much dominating Barcelona at home, and then in nou Camp not being really out there. Uh, not, not doing anything, being really nervous in possession in, in their own half. Same when they played Atletico last season after really obliterating Atletico uh, at home, it's not being really there in the Wanda Metropolitano. Uh, so it's just, I think PSG will, will know about it. And they, of course, not the same crowd in Paris, of course, uh, than in Madrid or at Atletico or in Barca still. Um, and they will try to use the four players up front to really pressure um, Hummels and and Zagadou and Piszczek and Berkey, uh, who is who is even nervous at home. So <laughs> you got that. Um, and so what you can do is play a high press. Then. In these in these matches, Neymar and Mbappe, they don't really have to make these long 50-yard runs. I mean, if you play high press and you, if you can uh, regain possession or uh, can make Dortmund turning over the ball, you don't have to make these 50-yard runs. You just have to dash at them and 10, 15 yards, and you know it's it's a bit more intense, but um, not much of not much tracking back. Maybe maybe that's the that's the kind of approach uh, Paris will take. Uh, I can pretty much see that, uh, and if Dortmund is as nervous as, or is, if they are as nervous as they were in past matches at away against these kind of uh, kind of teams, then uh, it won't be pretty for Dortmund. And I mean, Dortmund has to show that that they can do something else. And right now, I don't really see it uh, because we don't we don't have to over overstretch what happened uh, against Paris. Uh, Paris was conservative and underwhelming. It wasn't like Dortmund was uh, out of this world it wasn't really
0: Yeah, that is true um i i thought that um in 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 many uh, parts of the game dortmund didn't play their best game um and i i think that they have a lot of room for improvement still um what i found interesting about pg and i don't know if that was invert or uh, or not but they didn't really play a lot of uh, um you know, they just didn't have a lot of wing play, to be honest. They were uh, focused very much on the center. Um And that obviously meant that we had a very tasty matchup between two um central midfield pairings with uh, Witzel and Emre Can on Dortmund's side and uh, obviously Marco Verratti and uh, Gaye on the other side. And um <clears throat> Axel Witzel already talked about his new partnership with uh, Emre Can before the game and and how it it has a little bit more balance and I I have the clip here so I'll just play it.
1: Uh, You know he came uh, you know one month ago he adapted himself really good in the in the team you know and the two games we uh, we played together we feel uh, we felt straight away uh, good I think he can uh, he can you know give to us also with me in the, uh, in the middle, uh, more balanced. Because as you know, before I play uh, with Brent, fantastic player also. Uh, but he's more offensive mind. Uh, and, Emre Can is like, uh, more like a number six, but we did two, two games together, really good. And we will see, uh, what the coach will decide, uh, uh will decide tomorrow. Uh, but if we play together, uh, we'll be, uh, we'll be good. I like him, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I, I think we can hear that, that Witzel prefers playing next to Emre Can and uh, after the game I think he was a little
1: bit more uh, energetic. You know, we are a little bit tired, uh, I think Emre, Emre too, uh, but I think today we won the battle in the middle. Uh, you were better than uh, uh, Gay and, uh, and Verratti uh, today. Uh, we fight a lot, we uh, covered uh, recovery the, the ball a, a lot in the middle. So we, I think we did a fantastic uh, job uh, today. Uh, me and I, Emre also, uh, fantastic.
0: Lars, Witzel said after the game that him and Emre won the battle against uh, Verratti and Gay. Do you agree with that sentiment? And uh, what do you make overall of this uh, newfound partnership, which I personally think is, is here to stay now, especially uh, knowing Lucien Favre's preferences?
2: Well, I would agree that they won, uh, even though perhaps individually I would still say that Verratti might have had the best game out of uh, all four, but uh, Idrissa Garnage just had a kind of torrid uh, evening, so he kind of dragged uh, Verratti down, who I have to say I think is, in my opinion, probably PSG's best player. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously they're saying a lot with Neymar and Mbappé and a few of the other guys but I just love the the way he plays and am quite happy from a Dortmund perspective that he's still kind of an idiot when it comes to talking to the referee because he got himself suspended for the return leg which uh, might be what pushes this into Dortmund's or in Dortmund's favor at least a little bit in my opinion but yeah I mean uh, certainly Chan and Witzel as a pairing as a couple did better than uh, Verati and Gay, I would say. And it certainly feels like Witzel needed someone next to him with a bit more muscle than Julian Brandt, even though we've seen that uh, pairing work really well in other games too. So it's not like uh, they necessarily had a glaring weakness there in all aspects. I think certainly off the ball and in terms of mentality, uh Emre-chan has really um, added quite a bit to this Dortmund side um, I think it makes
0: so, so, you're, so you're saying it's not only mentalität scheiße, that's what you're saying? No, uh, and I think this is something that uh,
2: both the players uh, need to at some point probably acknowledge and certainly we, because we often don't like to talk about the M-word, but I mean with uh, Erling Haaland and Emre Can coming into the team and having the kind of impact they've had, not only because they're playing well, but also because they really, really want to and uh, show the, the the hunger and desire to do well in all aspects of the game. I think we need to kind of uh, yeah acknowledge that mentality is kind of a big thing after all in football. And uh, the funny thing is that uh, we as aficionados or whatever uh, we always dismiss mentality as a key aspect to the game but if you talk to actual people in the game uh, you know coaches and and sporting directors and whatnot they all agree that given the fact that all of these players are so talented the the thing that sets people apart is actually how much they uh, invest uh, if you want or how their mentality towards the game is so uh that that as a short aside, I do think that uh I would agree with the notion that uh Favre is probably likely to stick with Witzel and Chan for the time being. Uh but I mean now that Julian Brandt is coming back, uh, maybe not for the Bremen game, but the one after that against Freiburg, I believe. Um that being a home game against a somewhat pedestrian side, uh I could see the change being made there with chan moving into the back line which reportedly uh, was the plan all along when they signed him so i wouldn't say that that plan if if indeed the uh, it, if it was indeed the plan i don't think they've completely abandoned it after i think three performances of embert chan in the starting eleven, two two of which were uh, you know any good because against Leverkusen, he himself might not have played Too bad, in my opinion, but he didn't really, or his presence wasn't enough to keep Dortmund from giving up uh, catastrophic uh, goals.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what I really enjoyed about Emre Can's uh, the uh, Charlie horse he gave Neymar very early in the game, and then I think was it was it uh, Di Maria who also had the similar knockdown by him, and uh, just overall that he made it out of this game without a yellow card. just outstanding that's uh, usually Bayern Munich levels of luck um, mm. so that's uh, very positive for Dorman obviously and um, I think there was a a moment um, where he ran next to, to Neymar to to win a ball and stopped it right next to the sideline and uh, and passed it on and you can't see it on TV but uh, according to all the eyewitnesses he, he turned around to the yellow wall and and uh, flung his arms up, and and you can definitely hear on the audio that the, that the fans and the crowd reacts. And um, Lucien Favre talked a lot about his uh, communication skills. Um, that's obviously uh, pre- predominantly uh, with the team and his teammates. You could see him give Emre Can, uh, uh, give Araf Hakimi, uh, you know, a couple of uh, you know. Uh, instructions and in, in here and there so um he he seems to be a natural born leader for for this team right now which they desperately needed um but also the communication with the fans in in such situations I think is important and uh, does make a difference here and there so um I think a lot of Dortmund fans will fall in love more and more with uh, Emre Can as, as time goes on um, but obviously with him taking more defensive duties, he frees up Axel Witzel in, in other aspects of the game. Um, Konstantin, how do you see Witzel developing next to Jan if, if this uh, partnership con- continues to play out? Because we all know that Witzel, uh, you know, is, is also quite a metronome in midfield if you allow him to be.
3: I don't know if there's much of a development, I guess. I mean, it's more like Witzel does his thing, and uh, John more or less adopts to what Witzel does a lot. Uh, because could, could easily see it in a match against Paris uh, when when Witzel decided to switch sides. We um, just told John that he wants to switch sides, and then John followed. Um, so it's not like John is here; that is, is, is the team leader right now. Um, it's it's more like Witzel is, of course, the, the, the basically the organizer in midfield. Um, and so I guess that's uh, how it works. It, I mean, because John is also in somewhat of a more attacking role sometimes, um, so there is not much that changes for Witzel, um, compared to point Of course, Brandt is a different kind of player, much more, play, much more of a playmaker, uh, than John. Um, but that's the same. I mean, it's just Witzel, uh, Usually staying a little bit behind the arrow center midfielder, not always. Sometimes he makes his own ones. Um, sometimes he will. He wants to be the own. He is the own kind of uh, tripled that is a little bit stiff in the hips, but still. Um, so that's that's how how it goes, I guess. Uh, so I think that's also why the transition from Punt after his injury to John was so smooth, um, because just. John adopted to the role and is a bit more aggressive uh, moving forward than, uh, than Witzel. And Witzel can still be a uh, somewhat deeper uh, midfielder. So uh, I guess that works out quite well. And if Brent comes back and John moves into the back three, um, they will do what the, the two of them, Witzel and Brent, they will basically do the same they did before because it worked out so well. Um, and it's Kind of shame that that right now, uh, Brandt is injured, but hopefully he will be back soon and will be at at least 95% or so, uh, because that's what Dortmund needs, um, especially when you look at the attacking line. It's just not, I mean, this just the, the, first, the starting 11 is great, but lacks a little bit of depth. Uh, there's Chi Arena, that's it. Um, so front of course, would also help, um, to. Fill some holes uh, if someone has to go out he can move into the t- number 10 position and behind Holland and Sancho for instance if Hazara needs to rest because he runs 5,000 miles per match
0: yeah that, that is true I mean I, I, I think uh, with Julian Brandt in, in this team Dortmund's counterattacks in the first half might have looked a little bit better but that's obviously speculation um now before we move on or, or talk about anything else we need to obviously take time out of this podcast to acknowledge uh, Lucas Pischek, who now made his 350 appearance for Dortmund and his 50th appearance in the Champions League and uh, wearing the captain's armband on this night uh Lars how, how did you see his night in uh, in the wake of Akanji
2: uh I don't understand the reference to Akanji necessarily, but I think Piszczek did really well. Um, I think uh, it helps him that he's not required to play 90 minutes every week uh, at this stage of his career, even though in the recent uh, games he had played most of the time. Um, Obviously, he still has the physical limitations that come with the territory of uh, being 35 years old, I think. But I mean... Also, coming with the territory is uh, a wealth of experience in the biggest games. As you mentioned, nobody in Dortmund history has played more Champions League games than Lukas Piszczek. And we have to remember that he had a couple of uh, lengthy absences with his hip injury, so he might actually have even more games. Uh, I mean, Erik Dorm's Champions League career is basically predicated on Lukas Piszczek missing games. So, uh, yeah, he had a really good night and I think he certainly, as a fan favorite, uh, deserves all the accolades, uh, especially wearing the captain's armband uh, for such a relatively big occasion, even though it's, I mean, the, the round of 16 in the Champions League, that's even for a club like Dortmund, that's not something, you know, you remember for 20 years or so.
0: <laughs> no, that, that's true, but uh, still, I thought I, I this uh, Champions League night had some magic to it, especially because of the opponent, Dortmund face. Um, so you know, obviously, PSG themselves don't have the biggest Champions League pedigree, given that uh, they have crashed out of the round of 16. 16- so many times but uh, it's still a high profile matchup going going through the names you you face there and uh, i mean neymar and mbappe showed quite quickly uh, what they can do if if they uh, you know put the foot on the throttle um i i thought it was a was a slip by zagadou i don't think it really was a mistake in in that sense um but uh, very unfortunate otherwise i think he had a good game but um who definitely had a good game was uh, Arling Holland again um, first goal he, he poached nicely and then obviously the second one uh, a world-class strike um, Konstantin how did you see his performance his movement and uh, him going up against Thiago Silva and Marquinhos who certainly aren't uh, you know, the worst defenders in the world
3: no they aren't although Thiago Silva has lost a step or two. Um, I thought great matchup actually for uh, Holland, uh, especially against Thiago Silva, because he's more uh, because Holland's more explosive than than Thiago Silva. I think there was also a decision from Tuchel to let play Marquinhos on the right side um, because usually Holland moves to the left a bit and and. Uh, to have the ball on his left foot for for uh, shots and goal attempts um so i mean the the, the i understood the thinking of of Tuchel, uh what what he tried to do against Holland because it's the biggest threat uh and because he's a bigger f- or compared to especially Hazard on the left husar's not much not that kind of threat um so sometimes you can maybe dismiss him a little bit and focus more on Holland. Um, so I think in the first half they did, they meaning uh, PSG did quite well in neutralizing um, Holland uh, for the most part. It's still there, still in, in the in the box, and still you know almost getting his foot in or something. Um, in the second half, when when PSG's uh, back three was a bit tired and maybe not as compact as they were in the first 45 minutes. I think that's when Holland really began to shine. Uh, he was, of course, he was fed a, a couple of great passes, and he dropped back in the right moments, um, got some separation from his markers. Uh, that's what also makes him strong, and it makes, it makes him uh, much more influential. Uh, it's not just a poacher. Uh, but much more than that, uh, more of a, of a layoff, uh, you know, so someone who plays layoff passes, um, someone who's just who gets the separation, then who is present between midfielders and back f- three or back four, um, and that's what what he did, and that's why he was so crucial for for Dortmund's game, uh, for Dortmund's attacking game, second half, and of course, I mean, then he had the one thing where he just you know washed forward and and uh, tipped it in. Um, the Guerrero sh- shot, I think. Um, yeah, and what do you what do you say about the second one? Uh, I guess it's just. I mean, it's a little bit of luck is in there, of course, but uh, it's just when the ball is on his left, it's uh, it's kind of like when back in the day when Samuel Itor had uh, had the ball on his right or something, or <laughs> it's, uh, it's, crazy things can happen. Um, so yeah, I think. But what that match has shown, really. Is that um, Holland is not just a poacher. It's and not just, and especially not someone who's in, who's in that much of an aerial threat. He can be one, but he's not, not much that he's much more uh, influential and much more helpful and valuable uh, with the ball on the ground. Um, just that's what people have to understand. And uh, not because he's six uh, four or something, uh, that's why. He needs to get these these cross passes uh, thrown at us or played at his <laughs> towards his head. It's just not uh, not his kind of game because in the air, it's not, not, he doesn't really have much of a chance against uh, Thiago Silva or Marquinhos. On the ground, he, uh, he has a lot of chances against Thiago Silva, for instance.
0: Yeah, what I liked about the first goal especially is uh, that Emre Can basically pulled him out of the defense with with a, a hand motion and sort of a jedi trick there um so yeah that that looked really cool and obviously it was super effective and uh kudos also to hakimi i, th- I think it was who, who played the the cross in in sort of a curling motion and just uh sort of cut through the lane of uh of phg defenders who weren't all that poorly positioned in the box um to to find Guerrero so um yeah also a bit of luck involved that Haaland in in that situation was on site and and level and obviously uh, uh then has the quality and the ice in his veins to uh finish that one over uh, Navas and yeah the celebration was kind of cool too so yeah overall uh that we've that already
3: w- seen the celebration at, at Salzburg by the
0: way <laughs> yeah I personally haven't but uh
3: Oh yeah, that's it. But, but if you if you look up uh pictures from from holland uh during this one right, they did the same thing uh so um i was i was surprised that he adopted his Salzburg uh I know what it was his is is his uh sitting down in Jedi motion.
0: Um, well, well the uh the um the Dortmund Twitter account already had sort of a graphic uh, which wasn't photoshop but I uh, I think like a, a graphic and illustration of of that post that, so that's I assume they they, that's they were prepared That's his signature
2: Champions League celebration he did it after the uh, hat trick against uh, mm-hmm. Genk I think yeah, so, yeah that's, that's, so that's what i found. he he, yeah. he doesn't do it in, the, in league games. I don't think he did it in uh, uh, the Austrian league. I mean, he's not really a, se- a signature celebration kind of guy in the league, which is good because he scores so much. But in the Champions League, he seems to have adapted, uh, adopted the, I don't know, yoga pose or whatever it is. But, I mean, he didn't even get it, get it done for the second goal because
3: everybody was jumping on him.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah that was so that, it's that, it's that was a sp- proper it's
3: spider-man mass so to say all right, all
0: right. yeah minus the part where you get booked for it so that's that's very good uh anyway bef- because and not only because half of our audience is from the united states um last i bestow upon you the uh the honor of uh being allowed to talk about Gio Reyna's performance, which obviously not only set up the winner, but uh, also elicited a yellow card for Meunier. So uh, please go ahead.
2: Yeah, first of all, I want to reiterate a point Constantine made just with one quick stat. Uh, Erling Haaland had, I think, 47 touches of the ball uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, I think that's like two and a half games of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at Dortmund and at, <laughs> at a time when Aubameyang still scored two goals as well. So, I mean, that just illustrates how he's more than a
0: goal scorer, but, you know, touches aren't all. Uh, yeah, I think... Yeah, and the other half of Aubameyang touches were the kickoff after Dortmund conceded. Yeah, that's also kind of true.
2: Um, as for Rayner Honestly, I mean, I have I am a big fan of his. I think he has a very bright future. And I, I am basically on record in saying that he's already a better player than Pulisic ever was for Dortmund. Uh, but uh, I don't really think his assist was all that special because there was zero pressure from Paris defenders on him. Uh, and Haaland offered, uh, as Lucien Favre alluded to in his press conference on Thursday uh offered him uh the the great passing name with a good run uh towards the box. So
0: it's You know, if 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 you watch the if you watch the scene you could even argue that maybe the the better pass would have been into Sancho's run, who then Made if squared it just off to to Haaland and that probably would have uh, also yielded in the goal but uh, you know in in hindsight it's hard to really complain about it and yes it, it was it was crazy how open the entire sequence was from Hummels's pass to, to Reina to then Haaland but uh, this is this is why I asked you to talk about the the uh, uh, entire body of work after his substitution basically
2: yeah i mean it's uh, every sub appearance of Reina uh, is I mean, the base level is he's not afraid of anyone. He's going to uh, run at you. Not everything's going to come off, but just to have that courage at 17 years of age is great. Uh, You can always see that his body is very well developed for a 17-year-old. I mean, he's a little over six feet, I think. Uh, Sturdily built so he can withstand some contact. I mean, if we forget about the Bremen incident uh, where if he didn't fall so dramatically, he might've won the up on a penalty, but I mean, that's bygones basically at this stage. Uh, yeah. I mean, as I said, every sub performance of him, he's offering at least something uh, going forward and certainly has earned uh, being basically the attacking super sub at the moment. I think he's, Uh, been brought on in all seven matches of 2020 uh, playing between I think 15 and 45 minutes. Uh, Lucien Favre once again uh, in his press conference today was full of praise for uh, uh, Gio Reyna which if you know Favre as we talked about in the previous episode, he just doesn't really do this uh, too often. He doesn't wax poetic about a player, uh, especially a young player so uh, and, and Favre said that uh, Reiner's playing time needs to grow steadily uh, or peu à peu, as Farfel uh, tends to say. But you also kind of said that at some point he's going to have to start a game, uh, I guess because he can't you know, hold him off any longer. And I'm not sure when it's going to take place. Uh, I don't think they are in rotation territory right now because the next Englische Woche is the second game against Paris, if I'm not mistaken, in two and a half weeks. So... It's not like they need to take someone out to manage the strain on their uh, energy levels or whatever, but I'm certain uh, Gio Reyna is going to start a couple of games here and there before the season's over. And I mean, give him the entire summer with the first team. I don't know if if there's uh, any, you know, youth national team kind of BS in the summer where he has to spend a lot of time playing against overmatched Panamanians or whatever, but I mean, if he has the summer off, uh, full summer prep with Dortmund, I think he's going to be basically a full-time player for them next season. That's remarkable, given you know his youth and the fact that he's only played like less than 200 minutes for Dortmund at this stage.
0: Yeah, especially since he he basically was only promoted to a full professional in in this winter. So if if you will, that's sort of the the third edition. Um, next to Emre Can and uh, Arling Haaland I I will just uh, quickly say that uh, I appreciate it I think you wrote it last. that Dortmund I think right now are are trying to sell themselves as we don't we don't buy stars, we make them or something like that and uh, you know the irony here is that it's Emre Can and Haaland having the biggest impact on this team right now which were obviously bought in in the winter um, obviously Can Still on loan until June 30th, but the club has already announced that they will make it a permanent uh, four-year deal um, at the end of, of this season. Um, comes to little surprise, obviously, um, because it was an obligation to buy Klaus in there, which uh, probably would have triggered, I don't know, a Champions League qualification or something very random um, and, and easy to to uh, accomplish for Dortmund so not a surprise but uh, Dortmund made it public two hours before kickoff so here we are Um, quickly before we move on to the Bundesliga um, Konstantin do you think Dortmund will move on against PSG in a second leg yes or no? Uh, No Lars? Nope Okay Um, I guess with that we can move on to Bremen then who are right now in 17th place on, on the relegation spot with 17 points next to them, have only four wins, five draws and 13 losses. And uh, at home at the Stadion in the Bundesliga, they've only won five out of their 17 points. And they only, with that logically, only have one win at home. So that came against Augsburg. And the other draws came against Hertha and Freiburg. In the cup, obviously, they have the other home win against Dortmund, which was not too long ago. Um, so we kind of know who are, who we are facing with uh, Ratchita and uh, Davy Zelke in attack and uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, so let's focus a little bit on on Dortmund. Um, Last, I think we have seen the potential ceiling of Dortmund against PSG, um, a, a team where that that cohesively defends and uh, really hustles and, and puts in all the effort. Um, now the question is, can they raise the floor uh, away from home? Do you expect another uh, kalte douche for Dortmund fans, a cold shower uh, where where everything we, we come to love in the last two home games uh, will then be sorely missed again? Or do you think this team will actually get it together this time?
2: I mean, that's the the big question, right? I mean given that's why i asked yeah it. yeah given I, I know you are a great moderator stefan um gi-
3: <laughs> given jesus what's going on here
2: <laughs> given given it's bremen and bremen are having the worst season uh since i think in the 80s they were last in the second division it might have been even in the 70s i don't know uh so given given how deeply terribly shit they are at the moment I don't see necessarily a way for Dortmund to muck it up. But, you know, the same the same could be said for the cup situation. Obviously, that's a bit different. No pressure on Bremen, basically, against Dortmund. And, you know, 12 games out from the end of the season, they are uh, staring down the face of relegation and facing Heidenheim and Regensburg instead of Dortmund and Bayern. So, I mean that does something to players and certainly seems to me like from the outside perspective that Bremen are kind of at their wits end and are just at the stage where they're trying everything. I mean, they've already exhausted the uh, tried and tested training uh, trainingslager option, which is going uh, away for, you know, a couple of days in uh, in a, in a short-term training camp, which they did ahead of the Leipzig game, which they then turned around and lost, I think, 3-0. Uh, and the game was basically over after 10 minutes. And Leipzig really didn't uh, push the envelope out in the second half, given they were going to face Tottenham uh, four games uh, four days later. So, I mean, given how Bremen are doing at the moment, I just can't see how Dortmund would be able to not, you know, follow up on their... Good performances against Frankfurt and uh, PSG, but obviously it's Dortmund away from home, so everything's on the table. And uh, the 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 hope would be, I guess, that in the new setup, if you want to call it that, with Haaland up front, Chan providing muscle next to Witzel, Noah Kanji, uh, as harsh as that may sound, uh, I mean, if if they are, uh, if there's going to be a setup for Dortmund in which you know away defeats with really poor performances against bad teams are uh, to be avoided. I think this would be the
0: one. Alright. So uh at ChiftyResi asks, where does Brunt fit in now that Witzelchan is a must moving forward and PS love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Shifty. Constantine, um, we've already touched upon this a little bit, and uh, it's it's still not entirely sure whether Julian Brandt can play or not. He didn't train for 10 days. Um, Lucien Favre uh, had his uh, stoic wait-and-see approach at the press conference today, but uh, assuming he could play, I don't know if he could start, but... Um, how would you integrate him against Bremen if he were a starter? And, and would you break up the Chan-Witzel partnership or, or not? What, what are your thoughts on this particular game?
3: Yeah, I, I don't think he will play against Bremen, right? Um, but if I guess if he returns, uh, or when he returns, of course, um, then you... Most likely, move John into the back three. Although, I mean, I was I was kind of a fan of the idea John being the the right side at center back in the back three. Um, but seeing how he performed in midfield, I'm not sure. So, I'm not so sure anymore. Uh, what to do actually? What I could also see is that maybe um, someone like Hazard gets benched. And Brunt plays on the 10, uh, at, at a number, as a number 10, uh, behind Holland and Sancho, for instance. Something like that. Uh, so, ch- uh, changing the, the system a little bit. Um, it's, uh, at least against some opponents, like Paris, for instance. Um, of course, against Bremen or some mid-table Bundesliga side, you could still do Brandt in midfield and John in the uh, at, at the back. But all that would then you would have to bench Pischek, which seems also a little bit unfair right now. So it's uh, it's kind of a great problem to have uh, if you have more than eleven players that are pretty much ready to go. Um, so, but yeah, there are a couple of variations uh, Lucian Farver could use, um, especially given that maybe against. Uh, Paris you need a bit more of a conservative approach or he wants to uh, apply a bit more of a conservative approach than playing against Werder Bremen or who else ever
0: yeah, and and uh, that question can obviously only develop further if and when Marco Royce returns, uh, being fully fit. Uh, Last, if you look at uh, the team that played on uh, Tuesday night and uh, obviously on on Friday night, and then add Brandt and Royce to to your disposal, um, how would your team then look like? How do you think Favre solves that puzzle?
2: Well, I think the first to go would be uh, Toran Azar. Uh, I mean, he doesn't really deserve being dropped, but he has already been dropped a couple of times by Farf in the second half of the season uh, with the integration of uh, Haaland. So, I mean, that seems like a logical thing. I know Marco Royce really wants to be like a number 10 or play behind the striker, but... I mean, Dortmund's 4-3-3, the width is provided uh, by uh, Guerrero and Hakimi instead of, you know, the two outside uh, attackers, if you like. So if you look at how centrally Sancho positioned himself in the first half, especially against Paris, I think it would easily be attainable for Reus and Sancho to both kind of work the inside channels, if you like, in the half spaces.
0: Four, three, two,
2: one, basically. No, I mean, the thing is, I I would actually say that Dortmund would be likely to turn to a a back four again uh, with the emergence of Chan in midfield as opposed to the back line. But the problem is you don't like your uh, options at the right-sided center-back position in a back four because, I mean, Hummels did really not look good there against Leverkusen. I think we know at this point that he's basically a left-sided, center half in the back four. You can't put uh, the left-footed uh, Zagadou there. You don't want to drop Zagadou for Akanji. And Piszczek doesn't play center back in a back four over you know Zagadou or Akanji or even Hummels. I mean, that's not going to happen anyway. So uh, given all that, I think it's the the likeliest approach, to, in my opinion, would be to kind of alternate as Konstantini alluded to, chance position between the backline and uh, midfield with Brandt uh, coming in for him or you know, Sancho or Royce. I mean, they, they are going to have enough games, uh, provided they don't drop out of the Champions League, which I think we all said was likely. But, I mean, that's, as Konstantin said, a nice problem to have and something that I'm sure other injuries and maybe even suspensions here and there uh, will kind of take care. I mean... It seems like we are always talking about the the wealth of options for Dortmund and how it's going to be tough giving every one time and then you turn around and a 17-year-old is the attacking super sub.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, You you sort of hit it on the nail on the head there. Um, So, Konstantin, how do do Dortmund play in Bremen to not, as last put it, mark it up again? Um, Any changes uh, tactically from the uh, cup match? that you would uh, appreciate or do you think it, it just as we discussed earlier is more about the quote unquote mentality of dortmund uh, doing more instead of less
3: yeah, i i mean i still remain hesitant about the, the m- p- pinning it on mentality uh because i especially because you can't really change the mentality of some players um I think the first or the the, the recent match against Preman was just emphasized how, especially against these sites, how you shouldn't commit these mistakes uh, in the build-up or uh, in in their own in their own half, uh, because then even even against Preyman, you can look you can make a site that's really struggling look good um, when you commit a couple of mistakes, uh, because counter-attacking is something. Most sides can do in the Bundesliga, or I can, all of them can do. Um, all of them have some fast uh, strikers and wingers, and you know uh, I mean, it's not like Bittencourt or um, or Augustine or these kind of players are uh, like unique. Um, you can find them everywhere, basically. Um, so that's what it comes down to. And when you watch the match against PSG, surely there was less pressure on the build-up, uh, but there was also. The right mix between playing it slow, playing it aggressive, taking some risks, also just knocking the ball away if it's necessary, uh, and not fooling around at the back. And I think that's the most, uh, or that's the takeaway, the main takeaway from the uh, Prayman defeat. The reason one, Um, just you know, at times play it safe, doesn't have to look pretty all the time. Uh, and other than that, just uh, figure out um, after a couple of minutes, after you realize what the pressing approach is by the oppo- opposing team, figure out how to beat the press. Um, and that's usually doable against sites like Preyman. Um What I don't like about Dortmund at times is that they don't really adapt to what their opponent uh, do in, in terms of pressing and, and, and defending. Um, they, they just... they. There's sometimes uh, when you watch Hummels and and Piszczek and so on uh, playing around at the back, it looks not really thought through. Uh, it looks like they just come off of something on the fly um, which is which can bring you into trouble um, looking at our our team's same thing you know look at looking at RB Leipzig for instance, playing Gladbach, same thing. They didn't adapt their uh, build-up approach and then just they committed mistakes and were trailing by two goals. So just for another example, so it's not like a Dortmund uh, exclusively, uh, or exclusive to Dortmund. It's just something you can see a lot uh, around the league. Um, so there they have to learn. It also uh, comes down to Favre, um having influence on the team because there are other coaches in the league. What they do is they analyze the, the opponent and their press and the, the defensive style for the first ten minutes or so, and then they give some uh, orders to the to the players uh, how to beat the press and and do other things. And uh, that's also for has to do something like that because sometimes he is a bit too stoic for the first uh, twenty or twenty-five minutes, uh, which is not helpful because you can already make a couple of mistakes uh, in the first thirty minutes or so, and then it's pretty much done
0: it's yeah, true uh the uh feature of football is that you can make a mistake literally any minute um last do you, do you think uh mr hakimi will once again lose the ball uh, around his own box uh, or do you think uh the uh i don't know if if you want to call it a lapse in concentration or, or just uh overconfidence or whatever uh Will we'll change a little bit and uh, will Dortmund again award Yuya Ozako the size of Australia to uh, play a pass to Rachita? Or uh, <laughs> how do you think this game will play out opposed to the uh, previous one a couple of weeks ago?
2: Well, uh, as I said before, the cup situation is totally different for Bremen. I think uh, that has an effect on teams, uh, especially when the pressure is kind of a negative one of, you know, getting relegated, I think that's a a, a far more difficult situation to uh, work around as opposed to having the option of attaining something positive like, uh, you know, qualifying for the Champions League or whatever. So, or indeed uh, advancing in the cup. I mean, that's that's something that a, a team can get, done with one great effort and I mean it was a good effort from Bremen I don't think that necessarily they won the game as much as Dortmund lost it if that makes sense I mean I said it after makes a lot of sense after the game I said I mean basically Dortmund were kind of shit and deserved to go out but also they wouldn't have gone out if uh, Marvin Hitz gave them even a replacement level goalkeeping performance because he was in my opinion at least partly at fault for both uh, the first two goals if I'm not mistaken so uh i mean given all that i think this is going to be a different game for bremen uh, just given their situation and you know how really incredibly poor they've been in the bundesliga i think they've lost five home games in a row which is a negative club record um and as from dortmund's perspective i mean they are still going to be uh mistakes in their game i mean that's just who these players are. I mean, Ashraf Hakimi is not suddenly going to have like uh, a perfect outing and make no defensive mistakes or not abandon his position in a, a, at an inopportune moment in the game or whatever. But I mean, (laughs) the, the, the the question is how frequently will that take place? And will that, you know, uh, go down in the score sheet and will that give them, like a mountain to climb which i mean given their, the the form of harland and sancho and you know even uh and chan uh and, and witzel and, and hakimi and guerrero i mean they're given all the uh attacking talent in dortmund's team being on a pretty decent run of form i would say uh, i think they just have too much to handle for a struggling blame side. so as i said before i don't really see how uh, Dortmund would be able to uh, muck it up, but I mean, it's still Dortmund away from home, so they, they might find a way to surprise me.
0: Yeah, we, we will see, obviously. Um, I uh, the, the thing is, I actually don't expect a lot of uh, rotation. That being said, uh, Emre Can, I think, played the first 90 minutes of this season and Arling Haaland looked very shot after the Champions League game, Jaden Sancho, I think, could use a break as well. Um, Torgen Hazard has run his lungs out, but I think he'll, he'll be fine. Um, so I could make the case for a couple of rotations here and there, but I honestly don't see it happening at, at this moment, especially because there's a whole week to recover, um, in, in between the next games. So Dortmund uh, should, should be fine on that front. And, uh, if Julian Brandt, uh, is, is fit, um, he probably would then just replace Emre Can after like 60 minutes or so and Dortmund just become a tad more attacking or so. I don't know, um, but that's that's what I expect. Um, uh I think it's time to move on to predictions, so I'll ask you for the prediction for this game on
1: Saturday I think afternoon. I will
3: stick to the, to the cup prediction, which was, which was I think a 3-1 or something for Dortmund. I'll just stick to it and uh, hope for a better result this
0: time. Then, yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed, Lars.
3: Yeah, sure. Uh,
2: the same three-one for Dortmund.
0: All right, I'm also going to say three-one because uh, if, if we all say it, it's absolutely going to happen. So anyway, um, before we move on, um, we have a listener question from Jordan at Hunt underscore nineteen o nine, who is uh, coincidentally also the sponsor from uh, last week's episode, and uh, I, I guess that's the theme now because he's asking us what's your opinion on Dortmund's new sponsor for next season. Lars, since uh, you apparently are the expert on 1&1, eins eins, uh, I'll, I'll hand you this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the meme potential is through the roof, because basically whenever Dortmund play uh, a one-all draw, uh, someone's going to make the same silly joke about the result being on their jersey if indeed uh, it's going to be 1 and 9 which is 1 and 1 so uh, might also signify where dogman end up in the league table for the next few years um, yeah i mean i don't really have any personal experiences with that company i mean they do a lot of stuff you can buy smartphone contracts off them they can they are web hosters, so if if you uh, I mean, from a German perspective, it's good that they aren't called Vix, uh, which is <laughs> which is a, which is an American web hosting company. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, whenever these sponsorship deals come up, I mean, it's money. They need money to develop uh, as a club. Uh, basically, I don't really care as long as it's not you know Gazprom or some oil company or you know an airline from a uh, country with problematic humanitarian situations or whatever. Bayern. <clears throat> um, I mean. <laughs>
0: I mean, Dortmund had Turkish Airlines. Yeah, but they, they yeah.
2: had, as in past yeah. tense. So, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the only th- funny thing would be uh, if if... Dortmund's shirts were going to have a blue and white sponsor which are the colors of 1-9s uh, but they've already said it's going to be black and white on their jerseys and actually I think it's still kind of uncertain which uh, of their uh, actual products or whatever you want to call it is going to end up on the jersey because I mean, they are only sponsoring Dortmund in the league games and I think uh, the, the brand one and is pretty well known in Germany already, so it would make sense from that perspective to put one of their uh, newer enterprises on the jersey to raise awareness for that, which is basically the uh, thing that Evonik, Dortmund's current and future international sponsor, has done because uh evonik was a new company or basically the new name for uh the company and nobody knew what Ivonic was so they really used uh sponsoring dortmund uh at a crucial time in the development of both the company and the club as a means to raise awareness for their brand and that worked really well
0: still not entirely sure what Ivonic do but yeah <laughs> chemicals <laughs> yes they're, they're a chemical company but that's a it's it's about it what I can tell you about them. I, I guess they make glue among other things. so um yeah, unless you, Constantine have anything to add to eins and eins uh, and that sponsorship deal, uh, I think we can wrap it up. Not really, I guess just yeah, it's uh, interesting. <laughs> All right, then please tell our listeners uh, where to find you on the internet.
3: They can find me uh, on Twitter, of course. Uh, CC underscore is my
0: Twitter handle. Um, check it out. Thank you very much, Constantine Las. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, my handle on Twitter is that we should all stay
2: off it a bit more. But my uh, t- Twitter <laughs> handle is <laughs> atlaspoilman. <Paul Martin>.
0: What? <laughs> I I don't know. You must have a very nuanced uh, thing on my my handle. Pro- how, high, how I handle my pronunciation. Anyway, uh, before it gets even worse, uh, you can find me, Ed Stefan on Twitter, and all of us at yellowwallpod on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to subscribe to the show, please do that via YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, etc., wherever you can find your podcasts, as they say. And uh, if you want to find the written content, go to theyellowwall.net. And if you want to access the paywall content go to patreoncom slash the yellow wall for one dollar a month you can access all the written stuff and uh, obviously support us by doing that and sharing the show with fellow b4b fans among your fan clubs or whatever that would obviously help us out a ton and as always thank you for listening and goodbye